Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, as to who his earthly, uh, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God empowered by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing, to, from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Thanks, Kat. Uh, Good morning. Uh, My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you at Cedar Hill this morning. Uh, How encouraging is it to hear about uh, God drawing people to himself? Uh, And I was with a a group of pastors in Australia a couple of, about a month ago, uh, and we were talking about the idea of doing mission, uh, telling people about the good news of Jesus, uh, calling people to come to faith in him. And you could see that uh, this group of full of pastors, they were like on board with that. Uh, but the, the idea of adults, you know, people outside of university, older than university age, actually coming to trust and follow the Lord Jesus as adults, it felt like uh, to a lot of people, like encouraging people to go out and kind of catch unicorns, like something that, you know, it sounds really exciting, it sounds really great, it'd be amazing if it ever happened, but we don't ever really think it will. Uh, but it's great to see that God does save people. Uh, even in adult life, uh, uh, people becoming followers of Jesus is not just for Sunday school or for youth group, uh, but your friends, family and neighbours, they can come to faith in Jesus too. Uh, it's super exciting to hear that and see that. And, and one of the reasons why it's great to hear that and see that even on a morning like this morning, because as we dive into the book of Romans, we're going to see how that is possible. Uh, we're going to see how that is possible because we see that the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of is the power of God to save people. Uh, So that's what we're going to see. Will you pray with me as we look at God's word together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much uh, for, uh, yeah, that story of hearing um, of how Amanda came to faith in you and has been saved. 
Uh, Lord, we thank you for the part that, uh, that Kat had to play in that, the privilege uh, and the joy that she got from seeing your work in Amanda's life. And Lord, we pray that we might be encouraged by that too, that uh, people uh, repenting and trusting in Jesus is not uh, out of reach. Uh, it is not some mythical thing that we know is possible but never see happen, but that it might be something that happens uh, to those around us as we live unashamed of the gospel, uh, which is your power to save. And we pray that you might show us that by your word this morning as we look at uh, this part of Romans and as we begin our journey through this great letter. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, I remember vividly the moment of dread as the conversation in the circle kind of turned around to me. It was one of those kind of get-to-know-you games. I was an 18-year-old undergrad. It was my first job as an accountant working at a big firm in the CBD, and it was the after-work drinks for all the new people to the firm that year. Uh, The question that was asked is, what would you be doing on a typical weekend? And so as everyone talked about the wonderful things that they would be doing on the weekend, like jet skiing or um, having coffee with their friends or nightclubbing or whatever wonderful things they did, I knew that when it came to me, I had a choice to make. Did I tell them that I went to church? That I was a follower of Jesus? And I remember the feelings rising inside me of feeling ashamed maybe a little embarrassed, reluctant to share with them that every Sunday night I didn't go to the pub, I wasn't watching the footy, but I was meeting at that kind of dank church that they thought no one went to with other believers to hear God's word taught and try and live it out together. You see, I I was ashamed, I was embarrassed, I was reluctant, I didn't want to make a bad impression with these other undergrads who were going to be my peers for the next couple of years. I I didn't want the inevitable follow-up questions. You know, the ones that will come. Oh, so what do you think about... I didn't want to be that guy in the group, the butt of their jokes. Have you ever felt ashamed of the gospel? Ashamed to be a follower of Jesus? Have you ever been in a group of people and you felt a little bit too embarrassed to mention that you're a Christian? Maybe a little too awkward to say something about Jesus in the conversation, even though there is a perfect opportunity to explain the hope that you have in Christ. Well, today as we start our series in the book of Romans, we're going to discover that Romans has some very, very big theological ideas in it. But yet behind all those big and deep and wonderful theological ideas, there is a driving force that is very simple. And here it is. The gospel is the power of God to change the world. The good news about Jesus is the power of God to bring life and hope and joy to all who believe it. And because of that, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, We see it clearly in what Paul writes here in this first chapter, don't we? In uh, chapter 1, verse 16, uh, we see Paul write this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
You see, for all the twists and turns that this book is going to have, it's that simple statement. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. That is a pretty good summary of what Paul is going to be getting at through the book of Romans. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote this letter. He wrote it to uh, the church of God in Rome, uh, followers of Jesus living in the capital city of the massive Roman Empire. He's writing it to, to people he's never met before, brothers and sisters in Christ who he hasn't yet visited. Uh, But he'd love to see them. Have a look there in verse 11. Verse 11, I long to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You see, Paul wants to get to Rome so he can teach his brothers and sisters about the gospel so they will be encouraged and strengthened by that gospel so that they can then partner with him in that powerful gospel as he takes it to the ends of the earth. But in the meantime, while he can't get there, while he waits the opportunity, he shares with them in this letter that gospel, that powerful gospel, that that, that powerful gospel to change the world, that gospel that they ought not to be ashamed of. And now this raises for us two obvious questions. What precisely is this gospel that Paul is talking about, this gospel he's not ashamed of, and why isn't he ashamed of it? So firstly, what exactly is the gospel according to Paul? Uh, these days gospel is almost entirely a religious word Uh, if you look on spotify uh, for gospel it's all kind of religiousy kind of songs Uh, but not in the original context if you kind of flipped up spotify in the first century and put gospel in it wouldn't have all religious songs it would have a whole bunch of secular stuff you see gospel as a word it just simply means good news it means important news uh, and you know, for me uh, personally, I received uh, on Saturday morning uh, uh, good and important news. I received on Saturday morning news that the Hurricanes won and the Waratahs won. And then last night, I received even more good, important news that the Crusaders lost. You see, for me, that was kind of a bit of a gospel. I see you, Steve uh, and Tim. Uh, that was a bit of a gospel. Yeah, that was good. I was glad to see those three results, and that was important. Uh, well, it was good and important to me anyway. Uh, But when the Apostle Paul uses the word gospel here, he's not thinking about the rugby score from last night. Paul has a particular piece of good and important news in mind. You can see it there in verse 1. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets, through the Holy Scripture. And here it is, verse 3, the gospel regarding his son. That's the critical phrase there in the first three verses. The gospel that Paul has in mind, the good news, the important news that he is not ashamed of, it's the news about Jesus, God's Son. It's good and important and life-changing news about Jesus. And that means the message of Christianity to the world, the message that we have to share with the world, it's not about keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not about going to church on Sunday. The Christian gospel is not about living a moral life. The Christian gospel is the important and good news about a person, Jesus Christ. But what about Jesus? What news in particular about him? We'll come back to verse 2. The gospel God promised beforehand, verse 2, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in, the power, in power by his resurrection from the, jet, from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So what is the good and important news about Jesus? Well, here it says, the good and important news about Jesus is that he is the king. Uh, we see it there. It says he's a descendant of David. Uh, that puts him in the kind of the royal line of Israel. Uh, he's a human king, a descendant of David. But not only that, Jesus is declared to be the son of God, it says. And by son of God here, uh, Paul is saying that Jesus is the Messiah. The son of God is the Christ. It means that he's God's chosen king, promised down the centuries through the Old Testament. Uh, now, Jesus being the Son of God, uh, uh, it also means in the sense of the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, and as true and as important as that is, that's not what Paul's getting at right here. See, he uses the word Son of God here to say that Jesus is God's appointed King. He's the Messiah. You see, Jesus is declared to be God's King by no one less than God's Holy Spirit himself. And that's a fact that's kind of proven beyond doubt by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So Jesus, he is a king by his human birth, but he is also a king by divine declaration. You know what that means? That means that Jesus is more than just another king. That means Jesus is the king of kings. Which is basically what uh, Paul says there in verse 4. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is, King Jesus, our King. Uh, there's a, uh, a big and famous and great church in London called St. Helens, and the senior pastor there is a guy called William Taylor. Now, he's a great preacher, uh, and he was invited to preach on this passage in Beijing to a bunch of Christians. It was his first time ever preaching in China, and so he was speaking through a translator. And when he came to this passage and he went to explain the meaning of the word gospel, he said, gospel means regime change. And as he said that, you could see the blood drain out of the translator's face as he wondered, how on earth am I going to say this one without getting arrested? But that is what gospel means. It means there is a new king in charge. There is a king of kings and lord of lords. There is the one who was and is and is to come. He is on the throne. He is reigning and ruling over this world and over you and over me. Now, if you think about it, Paul writing to these Christians in Rome, it's, it's a little bit like uh, William Taylor speaking to the followers of Jesus in Beijing. It's quite a controversial thing to write to those followers of Jesus in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, hometown to the Roman Emperor, Nero at the time, the one who would be famous for burning Christians later on in his life. But Paul says, I want to tell you the important and the good news about another emperor, an emperor of emperors, a king of kings, King Jesus, our king, the king who I'm not ashamed of. And Paul's going to go on to speak of the good news of uh, the gospel of King Jesus, even if it's going to get him into trouble, even if it's going to get him into trouble with that small K king, the emperor who happens to be living in Rome. But it's not only the news that Jesus is king. Have a look there in verse 5. Uh, verse 5, Through him we have received apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. 
Uh, now, this is part of the gospel, part of the important news about King Jesus, but it's, that tricky, it's a tricky little phrase there, the obedience that comes from faith. The obedience that comes from faith. What does exactly does Paul mean here? Now, presumably, it's obedience to King Jesus, but how does obedience to King Jesus come through faith? You see, obedience to most kings comes through fear of the consequences, Uh, If you don't obey them, you don't do what the king says, there are consequences, and so you do what the king says. But this sounds different. This is an obedience to a king, not primarily because you fear him of what he might do to you, but primarily because you have faith in him. Obedience because you trust him. Now, how does that work? Well, watch this space. Uh, As Romans progresses, the idea of obedience to King Jesus through faith, it's going to get a lot of airtime. Look out for it in chapter 4, which we'll get to at the end of the term, where Paul is going to use Abraham as an example. You see, because Abraham trusted God, he believed God's word, and he believed God's promises, so he did what God said. He obeyed. The obedience that comes through faith. But more on that later in chapter 4. So you remember, we're only at the start of, of, of our journey through Romans. And what Paul is doing is he's going to throw out a whole bunch of uh, th- deep theological summary statements. Uh, and later on, as we go through, he's going to dive deeper into those. But the thing to notice for now, the gospel, it's the good and important news that Jesus is the king. It's the good and important news that Jesus is the king. And the only right response to that is faith. It's to believe him. It's to trust him. To believe and trust that important and good news. And Paul, he is not ashamed of it. He is not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus. He is not ashamed to be associated with God's people. He is not ashamed to devote his whole life to that gospel. He is not ashamed to give everything so that news can be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. But why isn't Paul ashamed of it? Why isn't Paul ashamed of the gospel like I was as an 18-year-old undergrad? Why, when it comes to Paul's turn uh, to say what he did on the weekend, he's not filled with the same dread that I was? Well, I think we see it there in verse 16. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Uh, I'm not sure whether you caught it, but last year uh, in the UK, uh, some scientists announced that they had worked out how to edit someone's DNA in a way to cure things like cancer. Uh, They claim to have completely cured a 13-year-old girl's uh, previously uh, incurable leukemia. Adele and I know a little bit about leukemia from when our son had it. Uh, And there are literally kids in hospital who have no hope for a cure. And they found a cure, this T-cell leukemia, uh, which is very rare. Uh, And obviously, the the scientists, they are stoked. They are so excited about this. Uh, They say this could be a whole paradigm shift in medicine. It could revolutionize how we treat not just like leukemia and cancer, but a whole bunch of other diseases. And so, do you know what, with this news, what they're doing? They're holding as many press conferences as possible. They're shooting off as many articles to magazines and journals as they can. They want everyone to know this good news, this gospel they have found. 
because it could save the lives of millions of people. Even more so for Paul here. He's not ashamed of the good news. He, he wants to tell it to everyone because he knows that it is God's power to save. Not just thousands of people or millions of people, but God's power to save billions of people. And it's God's power to save people, not just from a premature death, only to die from some other thing later on. As good as that is, though. But it's God's power to save people from death altogether. God's power to save people to eternal life, never to die again. You see, the gospel is, as Paul writes, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. And Paul's quite adamant about the fact that it is for everyone who believes. First for the Jews, sure, yes, Jesus came as the Jewish Messiah, but also for Gentiles, for non-Jews. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. But Paul has a second reason why he's not ashamed of the gospel as well. And that's because the gospel, the good news about Jesus being the king, Paul says it reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals the righteousness of God. Verse 17. Verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, to be clear here, the righteousness that Paul is talking about is not the righteousness that we receive from God through faith in Jesus. Uh, That is, you know, if you put your trust in Jesus, God wipes away your sin uh, because Jesus has paid for it on the cross. And so so God gives you Jesus' righteousness so that when God looks at you now, he sees someone righteous. That is true. That's great. That's lovely. We're going to learn all about that in Romans. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about the righteousness of God himself. Paul, verse 17, is talking about how the goodness of God, how the justice of God, how the rightness of God is revealed to us through the gospel. Now hear this, God's goodness is not displayed by us having to do good works for him. God's justice and God's goodness and God's righteousness is not displayed by us having to keep religious rules and regulations and do religious rituals for him. God's righteousness, His justice, His holiness, it is not displayed by us building massive stone cathedrals or getting around in special religious clothes or anything else we might do for God. God is seen to be just and good and right by saving us through faith in Jesus. That is what displays God's character to the world. And this is something that Paul really wants to make sure the Romans understand. He wants to make sure that we understand. You see, for the, for the Jews in Rome, the gospel, the news regarding Jesus, it, for the Jews, it could be interpreted as fickleness on God's part. I mean, if you're a Jewish person there, you've got all of God's promises in the Old Testament, promises to you and your people about being God's chosen people, then why, after all of those promises, would God now just going to turn around and throw the gates open to everyone who believes? Jews and Gentiles alike. Where's the consistency in that, they might think? Paul, again, is going to have a lot more to say about this in the rest of Romans, but right up front, he wants to kind of nip that idea in the bud. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because far from revealing the fickleness of God, 
the gospel actually reveals the righteousness of God. Faith in the gospel, faith, trusting, believing the good news of Jesus. It's not just the way God saves us, as important as that is, but it also tells us a heck of a lot about what God is like. It displays to us his righteousness, his goodness, his integrity, his justice. Now, the Apostle Paul here, he's, he, he's putting down some deep theological foundations in these opening verses. And over the next 15 and a half chapters, he's going to flesh that out. And we're going to take a few years to work our way through it as we do it uh, term at a time. Um, but if this kind of opening session, section leaves you with more questions than answers, then I'm, that's okay. I'm, I'm all right with that. Uh, these summary statements for Paul's letter, they're a bit of a teaser Uh, he's kind of putting it out there so that the Romans know that they are on the same page as Paul, so they keep reading. Uh, But now, perhaps, uh, the main thing for us to go away with is that simple, profound thought that drives it all. The gospel, it is the power of God to change the world, so it is nothing to be afraid of. The gospel is the power of God to change the world, so it is nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, so no matter who you're talking to, so no, matter, no matter where you might be, no matter what is at stake in the conversation, we ought not to feel embarrassed about Jesus and his gospel. Not intimidated or apologetic or ashamed to talk about Jesus, to share with people the good and the important news that Jesus is the king and that he has come to save everyone. And we can see that here in Romans chapter 1. Uh, by, uh, it it kind of comes out for us by seeing uh, the different groups of people that Paul mentions in these opening verses. You see, for Paul, he was brought up in a world where there was essentially two categories of people. In Paul's world growing up, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. There were Jews, uh, God's chosen people, and then there was everyone else. They were all the Gentiles. Uh, and so everyone in the world was one or the other. Uh, but in the first century, uh, within the group of Gentiles, there were two other subcategories in the Greek world and the Roman world. Where there were Greeks, and then there were non-Greeks. And you can see it there in verse 14. Have a look at verse 14. Paul says, I'm obligated to Greeks and non-Greeks. Uh, in some Bible translation, it's, it says Greeks and barbarians, which gives you an idea of what the Greeks thought about the non-Greeks, right? Uh, see, barbarians here, it's not a rugby team, uh, but it is, uh, an uncivil, uh, it's what kind of Greek people thought of kind of uncivilized and uncultured people, uh, other Gentiles. Uh, see, in the first century, the Greeks, they were the educated ones, they were the sophisticated ones, they were the civilized ones, whereas the non-Greeks, the barbarians, they were looked down upon as savages, kind of immoral, uneducated, debauched Gentiles who are all just about eating, sleeping and having sex. That's all their life was about, according to the Greeks. Now, it's worth seeing how these different people groups play out in this passage. So look at verse 5. Paul says, verse 5, that uh, as an apostle, he's on about telling all Gentiles, Greeks and non-Greeks, all Gentiles about Jesus. Verse 13, he repeats the idea by saying that he wants to tell the Romans all about Jesus as he's done amongst other Gentiles. And so that's pretty clear. Paul wants everyone, even non-Jews, even Gentiles, hey, even non-Jews who are, who are barbarians, he wants them all to know about Jesus. But then he gets more specific in verse 14. 
He says, I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks. And then he renames them again. He says, to both to the wise and to the foolish. And what Paul is doing here is he's amplifying, he's underlying the point about wanting all people to hear the good news about Jesus. He wants all the different categories of Gentiles to hear about Jesus, to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, the wise and the foolish, the sophisticated and the unsophisticated, the educated and the uneducated, the moral living ones and the immoral ones, the cultured ones, the barbarian ones, the ones who listen to RNZ concert and the ones who listen to News Talk ZB, the ones who have an oat milk flat white and the others who drink Nescafe. He wants them all to hear about Jesus. But then verse 16, he gets specific again. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now at that point, um, our Bible translation gets that last word not quite right. I hate doing this. I really want you to trust the Bible that we have there. But the word there for Gentile should be the word Greek. Uh, it's the same word that's translated moments before as Greek in verse 14. And it's unfortunate because I think Paul is deliberately saying Greek because he's intentionally targeting those two groups of people. The two groups of people that would have thought that they least needed saving. You see, the non-Greek, the barbarian, the foolish, the uneducated, in Paul's world, it would have been obvious those guys need saving. They're corrupt, they're immoral, they're ignorant. You didn't need to be a rocket scientist to work out that they needed saving. They needed help. And so Paul doesn't even mention them in verse 16, but he goes straight for the Jew and for the Greek. Straight for the two categories of people who, who would have thought that they... Uh, on the surface, least needed a saviour. I mean, the Jews, they claim to be the people of God. Why do they need saving? And the Greeks, well, they claim to be so wise and so sophisticated, so enlightened, so progressive, so into their philosophy and their ideas. They were doing very well for themselves, thank you very much. Why would they need saving? Uh, Adele and I uh, clearly remember uh, the job interview we had for the job we took after Bible college 13 years ago. Uh, we clearly remember a, a single line that was uh, given to us in that interview. Uh, the church that we're going to work at was in a place called the Sutherland Shire in the south of Sydney. Um, it's, you know, if you, if you, your geography is dictated by football teams, it's where the Cronulla Sharks are, if you've heard of them. Uh, it's a part of Sydney that has uh, a beautiful beach to the east, uh, a harbour to the north and to the west and the south is surrounded by a national park. It is a brilliant place to live. Uh, everyone who lives there is happy and wealthy and successful and well-educated and attractive. Pete Vanderwell used to live there. Um, <laughs> everyone who lives there has... Life is just going well for them. It's great. And in the interview, one of the pastors who worked at the church said this. He said... Dead serious, ministry in this place is tough. It is so hard. And the reason is because no one here thinks they need saving. They think they're already in heaven, living their best life. And he was true. He was right. But the Apostle Paul, he would be unashamed to go knock on their doors. 
Because no matter how sophisticated, no matter how successful, no matter how educated, no matter how intimidating someone might appear, everyone needs to hear the important news about Jesus. Everyone. And so there are people in your life that need you to tell them the good and important news about Jesus. Even that person, and you know who they are, even that person, they just seem to be a little bit too smart, a little bit too intimidating, a little bit too knowledgeable. Even that person, and you know who they are, their life looks like it's going great without Jesus. Even that person, and you know who they are, they almost seem too nice to need saving by Jesus. Everyone needs to hear the good and important news about King Jesus. They need to hear it because it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. They need to hear it because it reveals to them the righteousness of God, God's goodness and justice and righteousness. And despite what I used to think, it is nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this letter to the Romans. Uh, And Lord, we look forward to what you have in store for us as we study it together. Uh, But today we'd like to ask that by your word and by your spirit that that we would be gripped with a new confidence and a new boldness to talk about Jesus. To share the good news, the good and important news that Jesus is the King. And Father, we ask that maybe even this week you'll give us opportunity to talk about Jesus without shame, without fear, knowing that it is your power to save all who believe. And Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if the musicians want to come up, we're going to respond to God's word by singing. Uh, we're going to remind ourselves uh, and each other uh, that salvation can only be found where? It can only be found in Jesus. Uh, the good and important news, the gospel of Jesus, that he is the king. Uh, the only place where people can be saved. So please stand as we sing together.